Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner in sunny Cincinnati. It's actually going to be sunny this weekend. Mm-hmm. And fresh off the Miller Lite sponsorship, big shout out to Miller Lite. We are planning a 250 beer <laughs> extravaganza. Well, that's, I don't know if we make it through all 250, okay? But we are sharing the wealth, shall you say? You know, when, when one, one of the fellows profits, all the fellows profit. Yeah. Right now we have 10 committed. 10 commits to a beer Olympics of beard eye, all that stuff. Beard eye, beer pong, boom, called Rage Cage on the West Coast. Should be an absolute treat. First time it's been over 70 degrees in on Cincinnati. A, on a weekend, at least. On a weekend in a long time. Nicest day of 2022. Nicest yeah, day of 2022. It is statistically the nicest day of 2022 so far. And this is a data company. This is a stats company. We rely on that. Statistically going to be quite... The event, absolutely quite the event. Big shout out to the presenting sponsor of this podcast, um, Miller Light. The only thing I else I had on Catch and Early Buzz is one: we saw the YouTube comments. Why don't we just call Catch and Early Buzz presented by Miller Light? Yeah, I mean that makes a lot of sense. Miller Light's Catch and Early Buzz is the Athletic published the consensus board this morning. Oh, which you your love to see Christmas my morning, dude. Christmas baby, my Christmas. You can go check it out on theathletic.com. It's courtesy of Arif Hassan, who puts together, I think, more than 60 combined big boards from ranging media to put together a consensus top 300. He's going to be updating this through first round of the draft as well, adding more um, adding more draft boards, adding more context to the, to the piece itself, and I, I think even a Google sheet that allows you to kind of put the data in perspective as well. I looked at, on the consensus board, who you are higher on than most, uh, and I think right now for you... You are planning your flag most probably on Brian Asamoa, the Oklahoma off-ball linebacker. Correct. You are higher on him more than anybody, really. Josh Pascal, uh, the Kentucky edge defender. Sky Moore, Western Michigan. Tyler Smith, Tulsa offensive tackle. Abraham Lucas, the offensive tackle from Washington State. Jalen Petrie, Baylor, uh, slot corner safety. Then Nick Benito, the edge from Oklahoma. Leo Chanel, Drake Jackson. Those are like in your top 50 who you're highest on relative to the consensus. And of those... I think Asamoah is the one I'm probably the most concerned with, just knowing that, like, just seeing how low everyone else is on. But I, I, you said it to me when I said it to you. Like, I, I'm happy being higher on those guys than anybody else. Yeah, I agree. We'll get, we'll dig into a more next week when we go through the whole draft board. But I do believe there's power to, like, the consensus board, there is power to crowdsourcing and that whole concept of that, like, getting multiple opinions to create a consensus opinion has been shown to be as effective, if not more so in certain fields, than actual just one expert, certified expert opinion. So there is value into it. But I will also say a lot of times in especially the media space, especially people's draft boards, there is a impetus to not stray from that consensus opinion. That if you're straying from it, you think you know better than everyone else or that you're necessarily like that – people follow other people's opinions that you're like you said out on an island when sometimes it's just like objectively other people haven't either seen them or like don't have the same tape that we do or don't have the act it's like there's reasons to why some of these guys we're high on uh i feel confident being high on mm-hmm. compared to like you said the and, crowd opinion an interesting data point that arif sent me 
talking to him on Twitter, and I would encourage you to follow him on Twitter. I don't know his official handle, but if you Twitter it's search Arif Hassan NFL, Arif Hassan NFL, make sure you follow him on Twitter, read The Athletic, subscribe to The Athletic. He mentioned that only 38% of the boards that he's leveraged in this consensus board have Aiden Hutchinson number one. I thought that would be higher. He is the consensus number one overall player, mm-hmm. but he is not number one on more than 38% of the boards, which I thought was interesting. Obviously, I think the conversation there is Kayvon Thibodeau, who I think is top five on on the consensus board. Then a lot of it's Kyle Hamilton. Like a lot of people have Kyle Hamilton as the number one overall player in this class. Ike Aquanu, Evan Neal also in that conversation as well, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Very, very interesting. All right, let's get off that. The Miller Lite, Catch and Early Buzz, and into the tailgate gator mailbag. We're going to go trivia, speak pipes, mailbag, correct? Right. Yeah. Quinn, want to kick us off with some triv? Yep, let's do it. First one, and this is from Ty Bahama on Twitter. This mm. is a good one because uh, you guys probably will know the answers, but he wants to know, in order, name the top five schools with the most players drafted since oh. 2000. You'll know the schools, but the, the order, order, I think, is what makes this one tricky. This one's interesting. I, I, I'll start off say Alabama. They're Alabama, on there Alabama is in there, but they're not, not number, number one. one. Ohio I'm, State. Is that your number one I answer? would guess number one. Yeah, yeah Ohio okay. State's number one with 141. I'd guess Alabama second then. Yep, with okay. 127. And then I'd probably go... No, I don't know. I'll I, say USC up there because they had a butt ton for a while. Uh, USC is not in there. No. Not in there. What about Texas? It did fall off. No. No. No, I would... Miami's got to be in the Miami. top Miami's in yeah. there, but they are no. not third. Um, Georgia? Negative. I don't think oh, they would be third. Georgia. I want mm. SEC though. Florida. Florida's in there, but they're not third. Oh, third? so we know who fourth and fifth is. is LSU. 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 Okay. One twenty-six. So it's LSU, Miami, Florida. Yep. LSU one twenty-six, Miami one nineteen, Florida one seventeen. Uh, speaking of, well, actually, no, that'll give it away. We'll go to the next one. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Ohio State, Chris Olave. And Garrett Wilson could both be drafted in the first round in this year's draft. They'd be the first wide receivers from Ohio State to be taken in the first in quite some time. Who were the last three wide receivers to be drafted in the first from Ohio State? Hmm. Ted, Ted Ginn's one of them, I would guess. Yep, Ted Ginn in 2007. Was Devin Smith a second rounder? Yeah, he was. Yeah. That's from Lance Store, by the way. Shout out Lance. Big shout out. Skater Lance. Skater, Skater Lance. Lance. Mm. So Ted Ginn, 07, other first rounders. Um, do we have to go back to like David Boston that far back? No, not okay. that far back. There's another one in 2007. Oh, okay. Who else? Ginn and. Oh, um, Steelers. No. I was a Steelers uh, wide receiver, though. That was You're right State. there. That touchdown catch in the Super Bowl. You have to. Oh, San Antonio Holmes. San Antonio. San Antonio Holmes. Yep. He was in 2006, though. You got one oh, more in. 2006, one in 107. In 2007, yeah. Hmm. 32nd overall. Oh, 32nd. I can't even think of Ohio State receivers in 2007. That's the Ginn Does era. Chris Gamble technically count? Or was he a. Because he played wide receiver and cornerback, right? Probably doesn't. Um, that was probably before that. Uh, 07, Ohio State. Come on, Michael. So I'm out. Dumb. Gonna get this it. one's tough. Oh, I'm guessing he wasn't good in the NFL. 
07, so wait, 07, 06 Super Bowl. Oh, I know who it is. He's the senator now, Anthony Gonzalez. Yep, there you oh, go. Oh, wow, he's that a senator? Was, yeah, he's sort of the, I think he's like the driving force behind uh, legalized sports gambling in Ohio. Yeah. So really? Big shout out, AG. Yeah, that's what's up. Um, all right, last one here is from our guy, Obi. He wants to, you to guess this player like he did last week. Uh, I was a third-round draft pick in the past five years. I was cut from the team that drafted me before the regular season. I've played 43 total defensive snaps. I was ranked 98th on PFF's big board. Who am I? Big yikes. Okay. Cut <laughs> third before rounder. the regular season? Cut the regular season. Um, I have a guess. Is it Kavari Russell? No. Damn it. I didn't hate that guess. He was cut before the regular season as a third rounder. Yeah, Bengal legend. But, yeah, he wasn't. Um, fuck, 30, third round cut before the start of the regular season. I'm I'm out on That's this. A bad draft pick. Yeah, it's this, this player. Guess this player. He's not 98th great. overall. 43 defensive snaps. Who was 98th overall on the board? Can we get a year? Do you have a year? To get really drilled? I don't. I'm, so it's, it's within the past five years, so I guess that counts as recent. But I want to say it was two years ago Okay, so is when this guy got drafted. Third round pick that got cut. Got team? Jets, I believe. Oh, Chikai Play. Yep, Chikai Play. Oh, that should have been way easier. Yeah. I, didn't I thought you guys were going to be all over that. I didn't realize he still got drafted in the first round, our third round, honestly. Yeah. I thought he fell like, way down. Uh, that's, that's Wasn't he like really high on our big board until the testing debacle? And yeah, all everyone stuff? was high on him. People were calling him like Edge One just based off of tape at Florida. And his tape was good, but that's why you do pre-draft testing, testing to realize and that. And the interviews. The guy was <laughs> absolutely zero want to. Yeah, sad. Good trivia, Sash. Should we get to some pipes? Yep. First one is from Shad. Gator Shad. Hey, guys. Love the show. First off, just want to congratulate Austin on the Hutch podcast. The thing was absolutely phenomenal. Great job there, man. Um, second off, my question is in regards to the Dolphins and their QB situation. Right now, it just doesn't seem like two is the guy. I mean, when you look at his play under pressure, his intermediate game, um, even in a clean pocket, it's just it, there's just not much to go off. Obviously, you know, Dolphins are always kind of a joke of themselves, but he just doesn't seem to have it. And going into next season, they they talk about having two first-round picks, but there's teams like Detroit, Seattle, Philadelphia, who also have two first-round picks, not to mention the Giants, the Steelers, the Panthers, the Texans, who are all going to be very QB-needy next year. So I guess just for me, it, it, it kind of seems like we're stuck in this position where we might be stuck with Tua or have to settle for trading the farm for a Kirk Cousins type, Jimmy G type, et cetera. So just kind of want to get your guys' thoughts on the QB situation there down in Miami um, and also the 2023 QB draft if it's deeper than, you know, Stroud Young and potentially Van Dyke. Thanks, guys. So Tua, I'm not like – obviously you have this whole year to decide. And – Behind the offensive line that he played behind last year, I'm not going to make sweeping generalizations about where his career is going to end up. You know, like that was about as bad a situation as you'll see in the NFL. Like they just, it's like, haha, Tua can't throw the football down the field. Well, it's like he didn't have time to. And so they didn't even call routes that were down the field. So it's like kind of chicken and the egg. Yes, he doesn't have the arm that you would traditionally think can push it down the field, but also there was no opportunities in that offense to do so. So we'll see. This obviously, like, 
give it the year with Mike McDaniel. If you do not see, like, if he's not at least better than Jimmy G, which I think he should be better than Jimmy G. He is more accurate than Jimmy G. He at least has some mobility that Jimmy G does not have to wear. Give it this year. And then, like, you're really, I'm like, you're not planning one foot out the door like Brian Flores was at the quarterback position. You are firmly all in on Tua and then see I, next year's quarterback class. They're going to be too good to be a next year's quarterback class realistically. And I don't think it's deep enough. From what I've seen so far, there's really only like we're going to talk about this later in the mailbag. Bryce Young's really the only guy I'd feel like is top of the draft. I feel comfortable saying that right now. The other guys in this class, I'm really not super sold on at the moment. That's obviously we got a year to do so. So so far away, but that's how I feel about the Dolphins' quarterback situation. I don't. I didn't love the scenario of trading the farm for Kirk Cousins. I'll say no, that. If you're at, every, at any point in your own quarterback situation, where you're like, "Hey, I think we might need to trade the farm for Kirk Cousins," I think that's bad. You're in a bad shape right there. And, and to say two is going to be cheap for two more years, you know, very cheap for two more years relative to what everyone else is paying quarterbacks around the NFL. And then his fifth year option will also be cheap. So eight million dollar cap hit this upcoming year, nine million dollars next year. That's that's a window that. I don't want to say like, – I'm not saying wholesale he's good enough to take it to the Super Bowl, but last year was glorified his rookie year with how stunted he was in his development with that hip injury. Next, speak pipe. Thank you, Gator Shad. This is from Gator Sam Storman. Good morning, guys. Happy 420. couple bong rips this morning for Austin. Wow. Quick question. For me. <laughs> what positions in the draft is it most important to get put in the right – scheme or put on the right team and uh, what positions is it easiest to just show out and be a stud no matter where you get drafted Uh, appreciate you guys love the show have a great day i think your take on this has been my favorite and i've leveraged it in other podcast interviews and stuff like that it's where the further you get away from the ball the more scheme role and situation matters and that's so that's you know for like interior defensive line interior offensive line doesn't matter as much obviously it still matters right but it doesn't matter as much nearly as like off ball linebacker cornerback safety and you go offensively too. like the you know the situation you're gonna be putting in as receiver and all that kind of stuff i i um i think that's the best way i've answered it and then also quarterback on top of that it's like if you're justin fields and you go to an offense like they had with matt nagy last year i don't care who it is like you're not if you're going to an offense it's not catering to your strengths you're not gonna succeed i don't care who you are good question who was that gator what Sam Storman. Gator Storm. Yeah, too bad uh, this is Aaron on Friday because Mike is absolutely dressed for 420 right now. Oh. Show, him, show him the sandals. Oh, yeah, I got a little, I got my Birkenstocks on. I'm not going to put my feet up on the desk, but I have Birkenstocks on. Yeah, I want to say bad. you copied my style there at the Burks. I've, been ha- I've had Burks for years, and you're like, you hate me. You made fun of me for having them before. Probably. I make fun of you for everything, though. So, it's like, true. It's true. But I, still, uh, I don't know. They're, they're comfortable, man. No, they're great. I told you that. I told you that. I'm not, I'm not going to be copying your, uh, your, checkerboard vans anytime soon oh come on that's a, that's a, a look that i'm not ready that's a look i'm not ready to go for speak pipe number three yep last one this is from farley hey guys fan of your show and most things pff to help me stay informed as i'm posted in africa you guys get a lot of criticism okay. but I actually wanted to acknowledge something austin got right oh. uh, after hearing his thoughts a couple weeks ago i decided to go back and watch some film and by film, I mean that Jerry Tiller interview, and you are absolutely right. Your shirt and facial hair choices were terrible. Um, I wanted to ask how firm you guys are on your priors when it comes to player evaluation from the pre-draft process. First, like, how much consideration do you give an NFL player's draft profile when discussing their value or skill set early in their career, say in the first you know, two, three, four years before, during that rookie contract? 
Uh, obviously, production can be influenced by where players drafted, uh, from depth chart, coaching, scheme, you know, who they're surrounded by, et cetera. So I often wonder if team evaluators consider a player uh, simply misutilized or once a rookie deal is up, is it kind of too late to salvage whatever they loved about them in the draft process? Uh, secondly, I guess on the same note, um, do you think you're more likely to change your opinion if a player you love during the draft looks terrible earlier in the career or if a player you didn't expect, expect much from shows out? Thanks, guys. I just went back. Quinn, I know you're probably not prepared for this right now, but if you can go back and get a screenshot of the interview we did with uh, Jerry Tillery, oh, my God. I look like a homeless thrift store born gremlin and the facial hair choice i I honestly think it's one of the worst looking human beings i've ever seen was this fall 2018 this was spring 2019 okay because i know in 2018 you got up there i have some remember some pics from then but it wasn't great it wasn't great i mean Uh, this is not great either go back and look at this interview (laughs) we gotta show it i'm gonna drop a screenshot in the tailgate slack just for the boys here but like it is also like the camera angle is hilarious because like we don't do anything to mike check it out in the slack right now we don't do anything to help it make me not look like a dwarf like a little, like I'm look, I'm trying, I'm looking at his chin. <laughs> we'll get, we'll get it to the podcast listeners, the people who watch on YouTube one day, but it is absolutely hilarious how that's like put up. It's so funny. All right. I'm so glad he did that. In terms of how, how, how firm we are on our priors, um, for me, I always say it, I say it every year. Don't be overconfident in your own evaluation. Even when putting out my own big board this year, guys, you know, I, I mentioned it to you on the consensus board. Mm-hmm. I am objectively a lot higher on Arnold Ebiketti, Desmond Ritter, Sky Moore, Jalen Petrie and Sam Howell. And you have to factor that into your evaluation. And you have to go back. I oftentimes go back and say, why are other people low on him? And you research that and you identify that. And um, I think it's important to move move off of priors when um, – I think it's easier to move off of priors when a player that you thought wasn't going to be good excels. Yeah, yeah that was It's harder to move off of priors when a guy that you thought was really going to be really good sucks. Like, Correct. Quinn and Williams makes no sense. Like, it doesn't make any sense. I'm still – I still think he's supposed to be way better than he <laughs> is, right? Um, Tillery actually doesn't surprise me because yeah. we thought he was going to be good. The interview was insane, and it didn't help – yeah. Much, but uh, speaking of Tillery, here you go. There it is. Look at that. So I told this on a previous podcast. That is one of the worst looking human beings on the left. I honestly don't know why you guys let that person. The shirt is absolutely terrible. And look at that shot. It looks like I'm going over like life insurance with him or something. It's one of the most absurd shots. And that stuff in the background on the whiteboard. I wrote all that. Yeah, I drew exactly. all that up to kind of make it cooler. That is one of the worst things I've ever seen. Alyssa's back there laughing. I can hear it. Just, it's just rough. It's just rough to see. Yeah, to go back to the OG question, I will say that pretty much like if a guy's not not showing out year one, I'm sticking with my prior. Like for, for pretty much everyone, you have to really suck. Like, and if a guy really sucks, then that can take me off a of prior to be to some degree. But for a lot of guys, like it'll look at a lot of year two breakouts in this year's class, like like an AJ Terrell or Xavier McKinney or even like Julian Aquara in this year's class is like a sub package rusher. Like they didn't do shit as rookies. Yeah, yeah. Jonathan Grenard, they, they didn't do shit as rookies. So I guess it was year three breakout. Uh, there's or year two breakout. There's like a lot of times the year two breakouts kind of just it's because comfort levels, mix of whatever, guys just feel better and play better 
in year two. That's just how it works for a lot of the guys. So um, you, that's why I maintain progress, usually through year two. And then once after year two, then you can kind of really reassess and be like, hey, this guy might be ass or not. Or yeah. It might be great. I think I think it's uh, it's important too to like move off of your priors with when you get a bigger sample size of like the opposite, yeah. right? Like don't don't go like so quickly off of it if he exceeds expectations as a rookie or falls you know underneath expectations as a rookie. Let it kind of develop. But that's a great question. From yeah. I love that he went back and watched that Tillery interview because it's absolutely sensational. It is good content. That is good content. Um, before we get into the mailbag portion of this, we start answering some. Um, listener questions going to shout out that this podcast is sponsored by cash app um cash app is the easiest way to send spend and save your money you can send or request money from your friends when they owe you for dinner drinks literally anything besides just sending money back and forth with cash app you can invest in stocks with as little as a dollar as well as buy sell and send bitcoin instantly it's really that easy cash app also lets you design your own debit card completely free to spend money wherever you'd like Cash App will laser print it and mail it to you all for free. And the card comes with discounts at your favorite places called Boost. Sign up for Cash App using referral code HUTCHPOD, which gives you new users $15. And Cash App will set aside $10 for each sign up to go towards the Chad Tough Foundation to battle pediatric brain cancer. The more people that use the code HUTCHPOD when registering, not only get $15 for free, but you're also helping to support the Chad Tough Foundation. Download Cash App or app on the App Store or Google Play Store today. It's also brought to you by Simply Safe and BetterHelp. What do U.S. News, PC Magazine, and Popular Science have in common? They all have ranked Simply Safe Home Security as the best home security of 2021. In fact, the U.S. News just named Simply Safe the best home security of 2022. Simply Safe has freed me of worry when Mike and I are going live on tailgate and leaving our home just to Riggins. Um, you can customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash hutch. Go today and claim free indoor security camera plus 20% off with interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com slash hutch. Finally, BetterHelp. The podcast is also sponsored by De- BetterHelp. Life is full of twists and turns, stress, changes, grief, moments of growth, and moments where we feel like we're taking a few steps back. BetterHelp Online Therapy is here for the twists and turns and will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Hutch. That's better, H-E-L-P, and join the 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for tailgate listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Hutch. The other thing I'll add is if you know you, you talk about taking a few steps back in your life, go watch that Tillery interview. You could see a guy who's obviously taking a few steps back and, and could use some help, some better help for sure. On to the mailbag. Remember, if you want to get on the mailbag pod, we only do a couple more of these because we don't do I them know. in the summer. We, we don't do mailbag episodes in the summer. If you want to get your question answered, go to PFF Tailgate on Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe, and leave your question in there. This is from The Coil. Which round in the draft have picks with the most value compared to cost? For example, first-round picks are obviously the most valuable, but are they also the most expensive and hardest to acquire? Interesting question that I don't really fully understand. Yeah, I'm not sure what exactly he's getting at, but I do. I will say like... So the PFF expected war chart, expected wins above replacement by draft slot, and basically a rough estimate for valuation of picks still thinks that day two, late second round, third round type of picks are very undervalued, that they are expected to. So it would say that picks 64 and 65, last pick in the second round, top pick in the third round, are worth akin to like the 20th overall pick. Which, if you offer that in the actual draft, people would laugh you out the building. Like people would say, "Hell no, no, like that's they need more than that." But 
the whole it comes back to the whole idea of you know two players better than one, two chances of hitting are better than one, and that you still get a lot of you know even though we think of the first round being where elite talents lie and like where you find hall of famers you know top five pick has to have hall of fame potential is what people even say a lot lot of hall of famers still go in the second and third round it's still a fertile ground for pro bowl all pro hall of fame type of players that you can find there and with more chances the more likely you hit so yeah that's what we would say is that day two picks still get undervalued i think that's a you know it gets also maybe undervalued is veterans that are getting traded for day three picks i think those are day three picks they hand out yeah like candy all right this is from willie speed what's up fellas love the pod where should elijah where would elijah Moore rank in this year's draft class as a gm would you take him over someone like dotson or sky Moore? i think i might take him over dotson Moore and him would be similarly tiered yeah. for me i don't think i would take elijah Moore over jameson williams drake london but he's also, I think he's in that Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson tier. I, I really liked Elijah Moore coming out. I mean, yeah, I liked Elijah Moore too. He was 22nd on the board last year. So Olave's 21st, just got more 22nd on the board this year. But if you'll recall, I think last year was had more top end talent. So I would probably put Elijah Moore above both those guys, truthfully. You're, so I don't, don't want to make me choose between more and more, but I like last year's more better than this year's more. Yeah. I think, wow. Yeah, compare just last names like that? I yeah. This is from New Mexico Browns fan. I like the specificity. How will Deshaun Watson deal? How will the Deshaun Watson deal affect Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, and Justin Herbert's virtue deals? I don't think you really can compare them. This is obviously a. But it will impact it. I mean, you're not going to compare. They're not going to get the fully guaranteed whatever. One but million dollar guarantees base salary to, first year. <laughs> yeah. Your guarantees are going to be through the roof in the future for the quarterback position. And rightfully so, truthfully. Like, Barring an Alex Smith-esque injury, which even he came back and played with. But that's about the only thing that's really going to, because ACLs, broken arm, like the things that rob other positions of their talent that you worry about, like a guy not coming back the same. Like what quarterback has had a, had a career-altering injury in the past 15 years? You know, it's Alex Smith. That, that's really it. Like that's yeah. really about it. So, uh, yeah, I do think you're going to see a lot more guarantees especially like when they're signing those deals in their late 20s when they have a decade left of you know the worry is other positions like the age cliff can fall quickly quarterbacks the age cliff is not again it's not until very late on in your career and then then guys at that point guys in their mid late 30s are only signing two and three year deals anyways you know all these extensions that the guys are getting like Brady like Rodgers are all two or three years do you think that some changes will be made to how the NFL hands out contracts soon, just because we've seen a well, lot. No, because of- the CBA just got signed. It's another. Oh, decade, that's true. Right? That's true. So, just because like there has been a lot of change Smith. in terms of like prioritizing guarantees, prioritizing guarantees, and all that, I, I could see some some change potentially, especially the rookie contract stuff has has been yeah. in in it for a while. I I still think that rookie running backs and other low value positions need to be prioritized more on those first contracts, like well, Philip Lindsay got drafted undrafted and made like no money over the course of the three years he started with the broncos grand for a thousand yards two seasons and got like spit out of that system well when we see the apple money flow in on the new deal that's right it's gonna get the cap is going to get insane i'm excited to say that i'm excited for it i am excited for as well this is from josh 0.78 i saw some research by fantasy flock on youtube that suggests that running backs may not age as badly as we think if you look at how bad the 2012 to 2014 running back classes were and then how elite the 2017 class was, it makes a lot of sense why the average age of starting running backs decreased. What are your thoughts? 
it's so uh, again there's not one age curve it's not not everyone ages the same but i think the point of the whole you know don't pay running backs big second contracts is the coin flip aspect of it it's like you don't know who is the one who is going to age well and who's not going to age well so a lot of them you know could have no injury history whatsoever and then all of a sudden you give them a four-year five-year deal one one saquon barkley freak injury like we saw and like he just doesn't look the same then afterwards so uh i think that's the worry more so than just um you know just because he's 28 years old he stinks sort of thing it's that giving him that long contract there's a lot of risk involved I just saw this pop across a group chat of mine from my friends from the Bay Area, from where I'm from, Oakland. Hit it. New record low for people in attendance for the Oakland A's game today. Can you guess how many people were there? 2,000. 2,700. Oh, my God. That's insane. Does, is baseball that down bad? There might be more, like, stadium personnel working than... No, probably not because they knew no one was going to come, but goddamn. I didn't know baseball was that bad. I mean, the lowest attended NFL game has to be like tens of thousands at least. Yeah. I mean, 25. Yeah. Like at least. That's insane. How many? What's the average attendance then? Like under 10K? Let me look up MLB attendance. That's insane. Can't can't get anybody to go to those games. (laughs) More people went to the USFL games this past week. It's brutal affair. It's early in the season. It should still be like. Right? That's what I'm saying. It's not like they're like. Oakland's pulling less than 8K a a game. Come on. We've had 8,000 people on watching our YouTube channel. (laughs) Like literally. Since he's at 27K a game. Oh, solid. Oh, the Reds. That's because there's nothing to That's do with right, it. That's right, the average. All right, this is from Uncle Jeff 518. Did you like that side shot, Quinn? No, just because there's nothing to do here? That's a Joe Burrow. That's a quote. All Joe right, Burrow. Quinn. Fine. Give me the dead silence. <laughs> All right, this is from Uncle Jeff 518. Despite being the best player on the roster over the past couple of years, I keep hearing rumblings about the Giants potentially trading James Bradbury. So do you think the G-Men should trade Bradbury? If so, what's his trade value, and how would that impact their decision on draft day? I'm guessing there was no trade value because his cap hits $21 million. Yeah. Um, massive base salary. Now, it would be like $13.5 million to other teams should they trade for him. But I'm guessing they tried to shop him and couldn't get more than like a day three pick. There was not a massive trade market this offseason for you know non-quarterbacks. So I'm guessing that's it. And the reason, again, the reason people are saying that is because $21.8 million on the books. And then he's gone after this year. The contract's over. So, uh, I think a good rule of thumb with trade rumors, by the way, as I've worked in sports media for the last five years, is that if everyone's saying it, the team is driving it. Yeah. When like, You know how many people have been talking about James Bradbury potentially being traded in New York? It's like literally everyone at the company here. Yeah. Everyone, every single human being at the combine said, oh, the Giants are probably going to trade James Bradbury. That means the team is spraying that, looking to get some offers. Yeah, who wants to get James Bradbury off our, our coffers? And when it doesn't pan out, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's an unfortunate situation. A lot of that's because of the contract. I still think James Bradbury is a, a, a strong starting cornerback on the outside. It's just that the contract that Gettleman handed him is probably not all that favorable. All right, this is from Beast1224. Who will be a better value? John Mechie of Alabama coming off an ACL or Justin Ross, Clemson receiver, coming off his neck thing? DJ being complete trash. <laughs> so, oh, he's saying Justin Ross coming off his neck thing, or D, so D, DJ Uangalele, the quarterback from Clemson, coming being complete trash. I did look it up. The least accurate quarterback from a clean pocket last year in all of FBS 
was DJ Uangalele. The least accurate quarterback, oh, according to PFF, on throws of 10-plus yards, was DJ Uangalele. Can you guess how many throws were charted as uncatchable? What percentage of his throws were charted as completely uncatchable? 10 yards downfield? 10 yards downfield. 45%. 53%. Oh! 53% of the balls he threw more than 10-plus yards downfield last year were not charted as catchable. And so how PFF does that is they chart right on the money. It's called like accurate plus, accurate, yeah. inaccurate but catchable. Like I think there was even like a tier after that that's just catchable. And then just completely uncatchable. And he had 53%. Remember we had – we had like you'd reached out to Big Dave, right? Yeah, and we were going to have him on the podcast, and Ugh. then the season started, and he played like such ass that we're just like, we can't, we don't. It's like the joke was no fun. I think DJ Uingalele peaked on this podcast, yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> All right, uh, who's better, Mechie or Ross? I still lean Mechie. Ross has other injuries as well. I believe an ankle um, that's been hampering him. His testing was whew, scary bad, and is another guy who like just like didn't develop. And even in his interview, he did with him. Him talking about like not watching other receivers in the NFL. It's like that's a worrisome thing. Like it's not ideal. And then he didn't. Te- he really tested poorly. Mechie to me is far more of a technician. Now he may not be, you know, elite separator athlete guy, but I think he can still provide value as a number two or number three wide receiver. Whereas I, I could see Justin Ross really never threatening to see the field. This is from Will Rich one sixteen. <clears throat> Hey, fellas, how would you rank the big three running backs last year? Najee Harris, Javante Williams, Travis Etienne, the two highly ranked running backs this year, Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker, and then the four to five running backs in next year's class, B. John Robinson, Jameer Gibbs, Tank Bigsby, Zach Evans, Deuce Vaughn, Sean Tucker. Could be a much deeper class than we've seen in the last couple of years. I know it may be early, but still asking on that 2023 class. I'm just curious. Dude, 2023 looks... It looks like 2020. I'm all in on Bijan. It looks like 2017 again with Bijan, Tank Bigsby, Deuce Vaughn, 5'6", Deuce Vaughn. Amazing. Zach Charbonnet He's awesome. Back. He's awesome. Charbonnet coming back. Blake Corum from Michigan. Devin, how do you pronounce the last name from Texas? McCain? I don't know. Th- that guy has track speed. He's going to be running the, maybe around the four twos at the running back position. Uh, better prospect than Spiller, in my opinion, coming out. You got... Dwayne McBride from UAB. Remember the name. Jameer Gibbs, Alabama. Like, there is talent. Gibbs so. is a transfer, too, right? Or no? Yeah. Is he, he's eligible, right? I think. I, I'm big on Bijan. Go back and watch all of Bijan's reps from the slot. Because they played him from the slot a little bit last year. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it was enticing. And then he's got Quinn Ewers now. Who, who do they play week Isn't it Bama week one for Texas? Or is that week two? Um, Week two. Can we commit to going to that game? We should. We have. We have to yeah. be at Texas Bama. I'll be there. But All so right, rank the class. But so like, I think Bijan and Tank. I'd put Bijan above all these other guys, and then I'd put maybe Javante Williams, Kenny Walker, Brees Hall, then Tank Bigsby, then Najee Harris and Travis Etienne, and then Tucker, the other guys in next year's class. So gotcha. that's yeah. probably how I'd. Sean but, Tucker but next year's the, class has the potential. There are other guys that have the potential. Like that could be a sick, sick class. Sean Tucker is the guy you have to follow on Twitter that says, "I am pleased with this performance after every game," which Built is pretty like great. a brick yeah. shit house. He also just you get once you get he's that classic back where once he's on the tracks, you got to get the hell out of the way. He's just like once the locomotive gets going, get out the way. You know, what I was talking to recently. I don't know if he reached out to you too. Ben Stockwell, shout out to him okay. who does a lot of 
the grading management at PFF, also like data collection management at PFF, yeah. like what should we be collecting? How can we improve this process? They want to start collecting tackles broken versus tackles evaded. Avoided. Yeah, I, I feel like that could be kind of sick. Yeah, I'm I mean, I've been asked data. for this stuff for forever. Oh, you, shut your mouth, dude! I, you you have no idea. Back when I was on the grading team, I was his. He hated me because I would just be like, "We should do this. We should do that." And then you're just like, "Is that why you're on our team now? My yeah. team, the content team?" Yeah, fair enough. This is from Steel City 07. Favorite podcast by far? Three exclamation points! How's that for a glowing review from Steel City? What's the greatest single game college football tape you've seen from each position? Draft. Draft hill you'll die on? Question mark. So I think that's a two parter. I'm not sure about the draft hill I'll die on. I'm not sure what he's driving at. Um, Go ahead. I don't have anything I'd die about. I'd rather. Oh, stay. I'd like. To, I'd like to live. Um, You're the worst person. <laughs> Draft's not worth dying over. Do some guy. salts. Um, I will. Okay, so I did. I did prospect performances since I've like been the draft analyst here, mm-hmm. or like really dug into the draft. Obviously, there are definitely better ones prior to this at each position, but what I've seen in each position. Joe Burrow versus Clemson in the National Championship game was insane. Maybe Deshaun Watson versus Alabama in the National Championship game, too. Those are both up there. Um, as a running back, Leonard Fournette, his sophomore year against Auburn, was out of this world. I need to go back and look up the stats of it. But he, I remember he just, would just, his sophomore year, I was like, who is this guy? He just ate tackles. Like, guy, he was simply too physically dominant at like 19 years old never really kind of got any more physically dominant but even then that 2015 season was stupid and then he had ankle issues and whatever but so in that game 19 carries 228 yards 11 broken tackles nine yards after contact per attempt (laughs) that was ridiculous uh jamar chase versus i I mean in retrospect jamar chase versus clemson in the natty against a cornerback like aj terrell was Going 220 yards against that guy was ridiculous. Um, for the tight end position, Kyle Pitts against Ole Miss that first game, or was it the second game, his his last year at Florida. Eight catches, 170, four touchdowns. He had like three very sick contested catches in that game. Offensive tackle, I, I went Iki Aquanu versus Mississippi State last year. That was that's the one where he like blocks like six dudes on one play accidentally. Yeah. Like, yeah, that, like one. that one was just throwing guys around. Interior offensive line, Quentin Nelson against Georgia in 07 was that was the blitz pickup game, the one where he came across the formation to take out a linebacker. That was just like going up against elite competition and looked like he was toying with him. Um, as defense, defensive tackle, I'm going to go Jonathan Allen way back 2015 Texas A&M game. The Superman sack. Where he did game. the Superman sack. Superman sack, jumping over the running back. 11 pressures in that game. Uh, that was pretty insane. Chase Young versus Wisconsin in 2019 was the best edge game. That was that, that was every single time he was single blocks, he won. And four sacks, six other pressures, and 20 pass rushing snaps. It was just like that was one of the craziest games to watch a prospect. Um, Reuben Foster at linebacker in the playoffs against Washington. Oh, that's right. All over the place. I was in Seattle for that game. All over the place. And there were a lot of Washington fans that felt that they could win that one. Yeah, he was. It was a sad state of affairs. Ruben Foster. Who was the quarterback Sandy. then for Washington? Oh, what's the skinny guy with no arm? Yeah. Pretty much par for the course for what Washington has had yeah, for a while. Dude, was what was his name? Uh, number three, Jake Browning? No. Yeah. Was it Browning? Yeah, Browning? yeah, yeah. All right. Cornerback. This one's tough. 
See, I don't, I, I didn't watch enough Jalen Ramsey coming out to really like ID a game. So I apologize. But Derek Stingley against Georgia back at the SEC championship game his freshman year, 16 targets, five catches, 57 yards, two interceptions, and a pass breakup. Silly stats. Um, and then at safety, Derwin James against Syracuse in 2017, he got targeted seven times, one catch with one pick and four pass breakups. He, he just... And, and I even just throw an honorable mention for him against Florida when he threw the offensive tackle. Like, that play in and of itself was better taped than 99% of safeties. The only honorable mention I wanted to add to that was Michael Pittman Jr. versus Utah in the year he was – he was – that was uh, just a disgusting game yeah. uh, for Michael Pittman Jr. All right, this is Master Gator 69420. That is their Apple podcast name, and I think that is our peak audience right there. You know, they made an Apple podcast account to ask a question, and then, of course, when asked to put numbers on it, 69420. I know the company line at PFF is Arby's don't matter. That's not true. That's someone else's line. Hmm. Arby's matter to us. And I mostly agree. Oh, well. My question is, what point in the draft would you take, at you as a GM, feel good about pulling the trigger on one? Where would you take some former top-tier prospects like Saquon, Dalvin, Najee, JT? Oh, we'll throw Najee in that mix. Nice. Don't throw Saquon in that mix at this point. Stop. No. I mean, um, back into the second, early third. That's... Just because it's the opportunity cost, in my opinion, that there's like there are backs that you can find there and have traditionally found there. That's where Dalvin went, you know. Now obviously that was some off-field issues too, but that's where I would, if I really think you guys are legit talent, that's where I'd start to think about it. I, I'm with you. I, I, I wouldn't say for this class, I don't like any of them until round three. Like honestly, now mm-hmm. other classes maybe you're bigger on, and it goes back to honestly, like RBs don't matter. Whatever it goes back to that data point I've said on here like probably too many times now. But like six running backs last year played more than sixty percent of the snaps. Like you, like you, it's a position where not you're not getting like like compare that to offensive tackle or yeah. defensive end or corner. Like those guys are playing all of your snaps such a high percentage of your snaps and they play valuable positions and they get paid more on second contracts. It just makes too much sense with how this is being, with how this is baked that like Mm -hmm. to avoid that position and add complimentary skill sets, like a bevy of complimentary skill sets on day three and keep those guys on rookie contracts than to spend big, big. Cause what also happens is if you draft a running back in the top five or pay a running back, like the Dallas Cowboys pay Zeke, then you end up like, Forcing yourself into playing him maybe more snaps than you need to, right? Like that's the other part of it as well. The, and the argument is not you can't get a good run or that like those guys aren't good running backs. Yeah. It's not the argument that it's like a difficult position scout, whatever. It's the opportunity cost. It's that you've used a pick that could have turned into, you know, back end of the second could still turn into like a DK Metcalf, a Terry McLaurin that could turn into this home run ticket. That's a guy that's going to make twenty million dollars a year on a second contract and like really impact football games. Or you could do this guy who's going to be a short-term decision that will be with your franchise four to six years, more likely than not, and not make a massive impact. It's like still be you could still be a guy who's a very good running back, but that's the oppor- it's the opportunity cost that you're that. Uh, and you you bring there. up points where like yeah, it could be DK Metcalf, it could be Terry McLaurin. My my counter is like it could be an average tackle. <laughs> like yeah. like I'd rather have an average tackle than spend a top ten, top fifteen yeah. pick on a superstar build as a superstar running back and a lot of that is because the difference between the best running back in the nfl and the 10th best is not as vast as the you know best offensive tackle in the 20th best whatever it is and it's a position for the same reasons that d bill samuel is looking for a new money that gets hurt a lot like you get hurt a lot playing that position it's the most injured position in the nfl 
And to spend high capital on that position just makes it that much harder. It just makes it that much harder to justify. All right, on to Josh Skaggs, who I think has asked a handful of questions. We appreciate the dedication. In your guys' opinion, what would be the ideal picks for the Chargers' first two selections? When I saw Chad Ryder, I hardly know her, put Trevor Penning and David Bell as his ideal first two picks for the Chargers, I think I threw up in my mouth. <laughs> also, thoughts on LSU linebacker Damone Clark. We talked about Clark a little bit on the linebacker yes. episode. I encourage everyone to go back and listen to our position rankings episodes. But talk about Penning and David Bell as the first two picks for the Chargers. Yeah, I would I would throw up in my mouth. That's That would not you? be something that excites me. I mean, if it actually happened, I'm not. I'll throw up in my mouth over hypotheticals. But uh, I will say... Jamison Williams, Chris Olave is where I've kind of leaned for them as an ideal first pick. Now, you would love to obviously upgrade your tackle position over, you know, Trey Pipkins, but that sometimes it's just not able to do that with what's on the board. So, Jamison Williams, Chris Olave, and then 73, I would even just upgrade, I would even go guard. Uh, 73, Luke Kadecki, the Central Michigan tackle slash guard i think where i would be a dream scenario because i think he's nfl ready to play right guard in the nfl and that's obviously another need like the right side of the line needs to be replaced there for the chargers i'm with you i think they should be looking at receiver at 17 Mm -hmm. or if charles cross for some ungodly reason falls to that spot i've seen that in a handful of mock drafts i'd go cross there as well (sighs) this is the story of a girl no uh last question of the pod and then we're gonna have to get to more questions next week that was terrible and i honestly wish i didn't say that is there any way you could cut that out, Quinn? <laughs> no, that sounds a banger. <laughs> <laughs> this is from TBO Gooch. TBO Gucci on Apple Podcasts. Using this year's draft order, what would your top 10 picks if, be if every player was eligible for the draft, just like how the NBA draft is? I don't think it would change drastically, I'll just say that. Like, I don't think there are too many guys who've really planted their flag in next year's class as top 10 picks for me. Outside of? Bryce Young would be probably go to the Lions. Like if everyone's, you know, whatever. Will Anderson probably ends up going number one. I think the Jags would lean Will Anderson over Aiden Hutchinson. The Alabama defensive end, even if he's maybe a little skinny still, like by NFL standards, he'll be fine by the time the draft comes around, though. Um, and then Jalen Carter is the last guy, the D, the Georgia defensive tackle. To me, he's going to be the best of that bunch. Sophomore, highest highest pass rush grade of them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, Georgia scheme, whatever. Well, sophomore DT was fucking ripping it up. It was, it was the guy who was featured. He was the 19 guy. <laughs> years old. 19 yeah. years old, and he had the highest interior pass rush win rate of any player in the Power 5 in the Georgia defense that limits you as a pass rusher. That is like the one thing no one brings up in this whole, oh, Georgia scheme. They all had to run the scheme. It's like, why was a sophomore fucking tearing? Carter was not. It, it was <laughs> he had a 90.0 unruly. pass rushing grade. Yeah. So that's the one sort of thing you got to square away with when you are drafting a Trayvon Walker or whatnot. So um, he would be a top 10 pick. Maybe B. John Robinson for your running backs, lovers, but, you know, Gettleman's not running any drafts anytime soon. You didn't so. mention Will Anderson. I just said Will Anderson. Oh, I didn't. I, 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 he'd probably be the number one overall pick. Um, so those three, Will Anderson, Bryce Young, Jalen Carter, I'm not sold on C.J. Stroud necessarily being – if he were just in this class being top 10 pick, I'm not saying he can't be next year. I'm saying if he was in this class, I don't think Will Levis, who you said you're, you're high on, if he was top 10 pick shit, he would have come out already. So um, that's how I see it. Those three guys would factor in. That's probably You're it. missing one other guy that I'm really high on. Am I? Not Just one guy that I'm really high okay, on. Okay, who? JSN. Oh, Smith and Jig? I think Smith the Jig is— You think he'd be wide receiver one in this class? I don't think he'd be wide receiver one in this class. No, I was saying I think he's going to be like a top 15 player next year. Okay. But I'd say factoring into the top 10. So gotcha. he's asking what the top 10. Oh, I see. 
Yeah, I, I think I think JSN's a dude. I also like Keishon Booty and uh, the LSU wide receiver. Yeah. I don't think I don't. It's hard to say they're better than this next one, but JSN. I was talking to some Ohio State guys yesterday. They said they're still going to play him in the slot next year. Hmm. Hmm. I think we could be in a Justin Jefferson situation <laughs> where we have to project him on the outside, but we'll see. His brother is a baseball player for the Pittsburgh Pirates. I don't watch baseball, and neither does fucking I guess half the United States, <laughs> but. Um, Apparently, he's pretty good. I don't know. But JSN, I think, is going to be a dog. I think he's going to be one of the best receivers in dog. the country next year. Absolute dog. That's going to do it for this episode yeah, of like Tailgate. Last year. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. If Mike and I do not make it, Quinn's also invited to the Saturday Lights. It's called Saturday Night Lights. Miller Lights. Saturday Daylights. Saturday Daylights. Um, if we don't make it to the Monday podcast, it's because Miller killed us. <laughs> because we are going absolutely after it on Saturday. Appreciate everyone who listens to the podcast. Next week is draft week, baby. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, Mike Quinn, tailgate. <laughs>